I'm going to uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get started for this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we just praise you and thank you for the chance that we have to get together to study your word. Um, Father, I pray that you'd use our time this morning to teach us um, a deeper understanding of what you ask and desire of us in regards to money. Um, God, help us to understand how serious money is taken in Scripture. And if that would translate into how serious we take it when money passes from our hands to someone else. Um, God, that we'd be very conscious of the fact that you have called us to be stewards of the money that you have given us. That you have entrusted some here with more money. You've entrusted some here with less money. Um, But your expectations are the same, that we would be wise and faithful with what you've given us. So, Father, I pray that we would respond to the scriptures. God, that we would see what they have to say to us. And that even as we leave here today, that we would um, continue this aspect of discussing and asking questions. um, And that that would be motivated out of a desire to do things in a way that honors and pleases you. So, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would would teach us this morning, that the Holy Spirit would speak through me, um, that he would offer encouragement and conviction where we need it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are on part four of a disciple or a church that treasures Christ, not money. We have looked at how a disciple sees money differently when he comes to Christ. We've looked at how money a lot of times was a barrier to individuals coming to Christ in the New Testament. We looked at some examples of people who chose to cling to the things of this world as opposed to relinquishing those rights and coming to Christ. We looked at how Jesus said it's virtually impossible for a rich man to come to Christ. And it's only by God's grace, the work of the Holy Spirit, that someone can turn their back on the things of this world and respond to the gospel. And we were encouraged by looking at the story of Zacchaeus, a man who was wealthier than most of us will ever be, and he was able to turn his back on the things of this world and come to Christ. Um, We looked at how a a disciple needs money differently now that he's come to Christ, that we have a father who is sovereignly in control of everything in our life, who works things for his glory and for our good, who provides exactly what we need to where we don't have to worry about money. We don't have to cling to money. And then we looked at how a a disciple values and invests money differently. And we looked at the the call that we have to invest our money in the gospel. That it's a safe investment because it's guaranteed to work. We looked at promises that Jesus made in the New Testament. That he is going to only come back once the world has been impacted with the gospel. We then looked ahead into the future and saw in the book of Revelation how the world will be impacted by the gospel. That there's coming a day when people from every tribe, nation, and tongue will stand before Christ and worship him for who he is. Which is a guarantee that as we invest our money in the gospel, we are investing it in something that is going to happen. That we don't have to worry about a crash when it comes to the gospel. We don't have to worry about failure in regards to the gospel. This week we're looking a little bit more practically at how a disciple uses money. Okay, so how do, we, how do we begin to use money on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? Where is our money supposed to go? Some things as a way of introduction. There are ultimately three ways that you can use your money. And we've already talked about them this morning. You talked about them in your small groups. We can, we can spend our money. We can choose to save our money. Or we can choose to give our money away. Those are really the three options that you have. When money is given to you. When you work for money, when you earn money, when money is given to you as a gift, you have a decision to make. And you can do one of three things with that money. You can spend it, you can save it, or you can give it. And we want to look today at how a disciple does all three of those differently than a lost person. I put in my notes, we're all in possession of money and we have a responsibility to do something with it. Now, some of us have more money than others. But I would say those with more money have more responsibility, and those with less money have more responsibility. Those of you who fall into the category of less money, you have a greater responsibility because you have less money. Your responsibility lies in the fact that because you have fewer dollars, you have to be very careful about where they go. You don't have a whole lot of room for mess up. 
You know, if, if you're barely getting by with your weekly expenses, but you also know, hey, I'm supposed to take care of poor people. I'm supposed to invest in the gospel. I'm supposed to help meet needs as I see them. You have greater responsibility because you have to be very conscious about where every dollar is going because you ain't got a lot of dollars. Those of you with more money, and I don't know why I assume that people over here have the more money. I'm like, those of you with the more money over here, um, you have greater responsibility because God has given you more, which means you have the opportunity to do more with it. You've got some room for, for maybe luxuries that other people in this room don't have. But you also have a greater accountability because God, I think, expects you to do greater things because you have more money. So both categories have more responsibility to a degree. More responsibility to be very careful with every dollar, those that have less, those that have more, to make sure that they're being held accountable for the fact that God has given them more and will expect more out of it as well. The moment, the moment you walk out the door every day, or the moment you get up and get on the internet, or the moment you get up and turn on the television... You are bombarded with people asking you to put your money here. That, that is what people do on TV, internet, as soon as you walk out the door. You are bombarded with people asking you to put your money here. As soon as you get onto the road and start driving down the road, there are gas stations with advertisements and signs that want you to stop at their convenience store to purchase your needs. Purchase your gas here. You get on television, you get on the internet, and there are ads that are designed to get you to purchase certain things, whether you need them or don't need them. So we are bombarded regularly with people telling us to put our money in a certain place. We have to make sure that we've examined scripture to make sure we're putting it where it needs to go in a God-honoring way. And ultimately where we decide to put our money shows what we truly love. We've already said in past weeks that we're not to love money. 1 Timothy 6.10, we're to be free from the love of money. And we don't serve money. Matthew 6.24 says we can't serve money and God. Instead, as a disciple, we use money. We don't love it and we don't serve it, but we use it. A couple passages I want to look at here as a way of introduction. We work hard to earn money so we don't have to rely on others. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. It says, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Okay, so there's this goal in Scripture that we're told, that as members of this church, you have a responsibility to work hard, so that you don't need people in this church to support you. Because that would be a mistake to read the book of Acts and see how, man, everybody sells their stuff and just gives to people in need. There would be a temptation for some of us to potentially back off on how much we work because the church is going to take care of us. There could be the temptation to take advantage of this church and rely on this church to meet your needs when you're fully capable of meeting your needs on your own. So Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, you work as hard as you can with the purpose of not needing to rely on somebody else to take care of you. He goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. That's a danger when we try to start living according to how the church lived in the book of Acts. Where everybody views their possessions as each other's possessions. We're willing to sell stuff if someone in our church needs it. 
But that has to be balanced out by the fact that every single person in this church does their job to earn money to take care of themselves. You don't come into a church expecting to be a financial burden to the church. That you have a responsibility to seek out jobs that provide what you need to be provided for. And that you work hard. You take shifts, even though you may not like working, you take shifts when they're available and offered because you have needs that need to be met. If you know that you've got an event coming up, you know, there's, hey, we're going kayaking and it's going to cost $15, that you take responsibility to think through the fact that, hey, I need $15 in three weeks. I'm not going to expect the church to cover my fee because I can be responsible and start setting aside $15. Now, we, I probably, to my fault, did not encourage those of you that were in the youth group in this area enough when we were at Mount Gilead. Because there were times when, when we would you know, just easily say, hey, if you need somebody to pay for yours, the church can pay for it. And we had a lot of reserve at Mount Gilead to do that. But I want to make sure as we transition into this environment that everybody recognizes, hey, there are things that, that if I want to do them, I need to work hard to try to do those things. Now, if you're being faithful to work and there's needs that need to be met, that's where the church is designed to assist and to help. That's where the church comes in and says, because you're a part of this family, we take care of you. But we're commanded as a church in Scripture to, to resist doing that for people who aren't doing their part to work hard. Okay, so we work hard so that we don't have to rely on others. And then secondly, we work hard so that we have enough money left over to make decisions about where to use it for God's glory. Let me say that again. We work hard so that we have enough money left over to make decisions about where to use it for God's glory. The goal is that we work hard enough not just to take care of our bills so at the end of the month, okay, all my money's gone. Like, my money goes to pay my bills. Like, I don't even have to make a decision about that. The goal is to make enough money where you actually have enough left over to then make decisions about where this should go. Ephesians 4.28 Let the thief steal, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The goal is for you to work hard enough to where you actually have money left over after you've taken care of what you need to take care of. You paid the electric bill, you paid your rent, you paid your mortgage, you paid your car payment, you paid your gas, whatever it is that you have obligations for, those are paid for. And now I've got some left over that I need to be a good steward of and determine where it needs to go. The goal is not to just work enough to cover your needs. The goal is to work to where you have money left over to help meet the needs of others that genuinely need that money. Okay, so we work hard so that we don't depend on anybody. And then we work extra hard so that people that do need some help can get help from us. Okay? Now... When saying that a disciple uses money differently, I pose the question to you guys. What should be our priorities when considering what to do with our money? What are some of the priorities that you guys came up with and developed in your small group discussion this morning? What are priorities that we have right now that our money has to go to to meet? You could, lump, you could lump that in and call that like personal survival. Like that's a priority. I mean, we need money to get around in our, in our cars. I mean, unfortunately, our society is set up to where you virtually have to have a car. I mean, that's, that's not necessarily a definite need, but the way our society is set up, you, you will have a very hard time functioning unless you live in a situation where public transportation is easily accessible. 
I mean, you can't live out in Pike County and expect to get around without a car. At that point, you're becoming dependent on someone because someone's having to come pick you up all the time. Having a car is almost a virtual need in our society. You need it to get to church most of the time. You need it to get to work. You need to get to to be able to do things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a personal survival category that includes, like, eating, shelter, um, getting around, having access to things. Those are That's a priority in our life. That's a necessary priority in our life. Anything else that we came up with? Education could be a priority. For some of you that are in school, that's a priority. That's, that's something that you're, you're spending money on now to enhance down the road. That, that's going to help you get a better job. It's going to help you get a job to begin with if you don't even have a job right now. Education's a priority for some of us. It, it necessitates money being given to it. Um, anything else? survival of others. So as soon as you go from being a single to being a family, whether that's just simply getting married or getting married and have kids, you become responsible for other people. So not only is it your personal survival, it's the personal survival of other people in your family, but then also not necessarily survival needs, but like you said, I mean, there are things that, that you want your kids to be able to do that are going to just enhance their growth and development. You want them engaged with, with kids in the community, doing Physical activity. There are things that I think it's right and appropriate to put money towards for the development of your kids. So we could say families are priorities. Um, would we say that, that fun activities are a priority? Because I would say that it is. We can make a mistake of, of studying about studying the Bible and, and what it has to say about money and thinking that, again, we have to go this route of poverty theology, that we can't spend our money on anything that we enjoy. But I can guarantee you, especially for those that are married, your spouse expects some money to be spent on personal, fun enjoyment together. I mean, it would be tough if I told Lauren, hey, we're never going to spend money for the two of us to go out to eat. Like, that's just not a priority. There are people that need it more than us, so we're never going to do that. See, that, that, that could be a detriment to our relationship. There has to be money that's used, not necessarily for personal survival, but just simply to be used for the enhancement of the relationship. Same with your kids. I mean, if, if you can't take your kids out to get ice cream and enjoy and make memories together, I think we've reverted to a, a, a bad balance from what Scripture has to say. I think we have a responsibility to take care of our families, not just basic needs, but really try to enhance the, the family relationship. I think that should be a priority. But here's where I want to make sure that we are bringing this priority into our other priorities. I'm not trying to eliminate things that are already a priority in your life, but I think we have to understand that Scripture gives us priority that we've got to make sure is in our budget or just in the way we spend money. And that I would call uh, a gospel priority. Gospel priority. Ministry priority. You as an individual or you as a family have to have money set aside for the purposes of the gospel. Why? Because that is the strict command that you've been given in Scripture. You're not told in Scripture what job to go work. Ben can't sit down and read Scripture and know that he's supposed to be doing what he's doing for a living. But Ben can look in Scripture and know that God has commanded him to be an ambassador that takes the gospel to people who do not have it. Some verses that you may want to jot down. Obviously, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Acts 1, 8, the, the Luke's version of the Great Commission. 
So Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Acts 1, 8. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, the passage that I just referenced to you. Second Corinthians five twenty. It says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of us that are of age, that have accepted Christ as our Savior, um, we have a responsibility to make disciples. That necessitates taking the gospel to people that don't have it. It necessitates doing follow-up with people who do respond to the gospel and continuing to teach them what Christ commands them to do. That's the, that's the Great Commission. We don't make converts, we make disciples. We don't come in and say, hooray, you know, ten people got saved this week that I shared the gospel with, um, but I don't intend in talking to them ever again. Like, I'm not going to go follow up with them. We have a responsibility to make disciples. Okay? Matthew 24, 14. And I want to bring this passage in to illustrate the urgency of this. This is Jesus talking. We've looked at this passage already. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We're not told a whole lot about the timing of end time stuff and Jesus coming back. We are told very specifically here. That when the gospel has impacted this world the way that God has designed for it to, Jesus is coming back. And we can debate about what it means for all nations, because there's, there's new countries now that weren't in existence when Jesus made that statement. In fact, I read on Yahoo there's a new country this week. Um, South Sudan, yeah. New country this week. So, does, does people from South Sudan have to have the gospel before Jesus can come back because they're a nation? I don't, I don't know exactly how to define tribes and tongues and nations. But what I do know is that the gospel has to make a global impact and then Jesus comes back. And I can tell you, Will, I'm getting more and more excited about going home. Like, I want to go home. This world and the condition that it's in is not my home. Now, some people believe we're going to spend eternity in heaven. Other people believe we're going to spend eternity on a recreated earth the way that God originally designed the Garden of Eden. We can debate about which one it is. But the fact of the matter is, is that this right here is not where I'm spending eternity. And I'm longing more and more for Jesus to come back. We want that to be a focus of this church, that we increase our longing and desire for Jesus to come back. And part of the way that we demonstrate that desire is that we work to make this happen. We work to get the gospel around the globe so that Jesus comes back. So gospel has to be a priority. Now, the gospel message is free, but it oftentimes costs us money to get it out, right? I mean, if I'm going to go on a mission trip, that's going to necessitate me saving money to go on a mission trip. We really hope to be able to take a group of you guys next summer to Uganda to see what Chris Henson's doing over there. Okay? That's going to easily be a $2,000 to $2,500 trip. I mean, it's just expensive to get over there. That's money that you may have to start setting aside because gospel is a priority and it costs money to get the gospel overseas. Discipleship costs money. Okay? When you begin to meet with someone and do discipleship, you may be going through a, a Christian book together. Well, it costs money to buy that book, right? At times, we've existed under a format where the church provides all that. Well, we don't have the money here at Sovereign Hope to do that. So gospel and ministry in your life is going to necessitate a financial priority. There are things that it's going to cost you in order to be an ambassador. You're talking with someone and they need follow-up discipleship material. It may be you purchasing that to give to them. Gospel and ministry need to be a priority in the way that you structure your budget and how you spend your money. Okay? Now, let's look at spending money, saving money, giving money. We'll get as far as we can today. Wherever we have to stop, we'll stop and we'll finish it. We'll finish these, these notes um, next week. Spending money and how that relates to sanctification. Okay? Um, I put in my notes, 
How we spend our money gives us the chance to demonstrate to a lost world what is important to us. As you interact with lost people, we want to invite lost people to see where we spend our money. Not for the purposes of pride, not for the purposes of of being built up in the eyes of lost people. But there does need to be an element where lost people can see where our money goes and give glory and honor to God for our good works. I mean, Jesus says that. He says, your good work should be done in such a way that lost people are caused to worship me because of the work that I'm doing in your life. So the Holy Spirit can use spending money as a form of sanctification in our life because it gives us a practical way to demonstrate to lost people what's important to us. Yeah, fun stuff's important, family's important, but there's also this really big thing called gospel and ministry that's important in my family's life. And lost people get to see that through conversations that I'm having, through just them observing what I do with my time. The Holy Spirit uses the way we spend money as a form of sanctification. Secondly, he can use it in the sense that how we spend our money gives us the chance to fight covetousness and greed as we seek to live within our means. How we spend money, the Holy Spirit uses how we spend money to help us fight covetousness and greed as we seek to live within our means. I remember... um, Having a conversation with a guy at Snowbird. I was working at Snowbird 2007. Called him and said, hey, uh, or I was talking to him at Snowbird. And I said, um, this church called Mount Gilead wants to hire me to, to be the youth pastor there. And um, i got to be honest with you. They're, they're, they're wanting to pay me an amount of money that, that I have never come close to making before. And I was totally blown away at the amount of money that Mount Gilead was offering me. Now, now I mean, looking back on it. Now that I'm married and I understand all the bills that come with being like it ain't, it ain't that, that, that ain't that much. But being that I was single, had always either lived with my mom or lived with a group of guys where everything was being split. I looked at the number on paper and I was like, there would be a great temptation to live beyond what I need. There's there's going to be a lot of excess money here. And for some of you, you're going to see that as you continue to get older, as you begin to get your first real jobs. You're going to be making paychecks that you've never seen before. The Holy Spirit is going to use how you spend that money as a way to fight covetousness and greed. You're going to have to fight to live off what you need with some excess understanding that, you know, we can classify need and being that there's fun things that I need to do. But there's also going to be a temptation to just be overblown and balanced towards that. You're purchasing a, a new car, you know, every year or, or whatever. I mean, you could easily get way out of balance with the amount of money that some of you may end up making one day. The Holy Spirit can use how we spend money for us to fight covetousness and fight greed, which we're told to do in the New Testament. We're going to see in a little bit where we're told to kill it, kill covetousness in your life. The way we kill it is that we examine how we're spending money. We allow the Holy Spirit to affect the way that we spend money and we live off what we need. Okay? So that's how the Holy Spirit can use it as sanctification. A couple things here in your notes. A disciple learns to over to avoid overspending by seeking to avoid debt through careful planning. A disciple learns to avoid overspending by seeking to avoid debt through careful planning. Proverbs twenty two seven. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. This idea that as soon as you borrow money from somebody, you become a slave to that person that that you owe money to. They demand that you financially pay them back, and you ultimately pay more back than you ever borrowed from them. We see this carried over in the New Testament. Romans chapter chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. I want to caution you as a disciple of Christ to be very careful about putting yourself into a situation of debt. Now, that doesn't mean that that all debt is bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, It would be very, very tough to ever purchase a house 
without going into some form of debt. Um, there, there are some things that are considered good debt, other things that are considered bad debt. Some of you are going to go into debt with school and education. It's just the way that it's designed in our society. It's expensive. Um, you know, I would say in the area of education, that you have a responsibility to make sure that what you're pursuing and what you're spending money on now will allow you to do something in the future to pay that back pretty quickly. You know, I've been very cautious about putting myself into too much um, educational debt because my job occupation doesn't really allow me to pay it back. You know, you know, I could, I could go to seminary again and, and get further degrees and go into debt, but it's not going to really make my pay go up. You know, I'm not going to be able to tell Trinity, hey, um, I actually have a better master's now than I did before, so can I get some extra money? No. We pay you extra because you have the master's that you have right now. So you want to be conscious, especially in the form of education, that you're, you're, you're putting money into education with the understanding that you're going to be able to pay it back pretty quickly. I think that's a wise move. That, that's, that's a wise way to potentially get into debt with the understanding that you're going to be able to get out of debt fairly quickly. Um, I made a decision to go into debt with the truck that I purchased back in 2006. I got really tired of having to spend large portions of money to continue to fix up an old car. And so I kind of prayed through and made the decision, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purchase a, a newer vehicle. I'm going to go into debt with the understanding that, that I'm going to remove a, a, uh, a burden that has been on me for a long time. Never knowing if I'm going to make it to where I'm supposed to be going. Um, I was breaking down like crazy in college, um, just continuing to dump money into a truck that was just not going to make it much longer. So I made, it, I made an educated decision to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go into a type of debt that I think when the, in the long run will help me. So there's, there's forms of good debt, forms of bad debt. I know of others that, that have, um, a friend of mine in college had a credit card and went nutso with it and was paying for uh, dinners and paying for clothes and paying for stuff that he was racking up debt. And by the time he was getting the bills to go with it, couldn't really even trace what that money had been spent on. That could be some dangerous debt where, where you're coveting things and wanting to live a lifestyle that you don't have the money to do. So there's good and bad debt, and that needs to be considered by everybody in here. And each one of us is going to probably have a different perspective about that. But Scripture definitely cautions us about getting into debt. Secondly, a disciple learns to spend well to avoid being a hoarder. Luke 12, 20 and 21 is the passage where we looked at the guy who just constantly made bigger barns to put all this stuff in. Remember, he's like, wow, my barns are too small, and I've got all this excess crop. I need to build bigger barns. This guy was a hoarder. He had way more than he needed and continued to just stuff it in his savings account. A disciple learns to get rid of money at times. We don't want to be possessive. We don't want to hoard what God gives us and continue to store it up. We need to be faithful to use it. We need to be faithful to use it as a good steward. We don't hide our money in the ground like the one parable talks about. We're faithful to use it. Okay, so a disciple learns how to spend well to avoid being a hoarder. Thirdly, a disciple learns to enjoy the goodness of God's creation through wise spending. A disciple learns to enjoy the goodness of God's creation through wise spending. Ecclesiastes Chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. He should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. There's the truth that as we work... That God blesses us financially so that we can enjoy aspects of creation that he has created for us to enjoy. This is where, um, and again, we balance it, but I shouldn't feel guilty if the way God has created me, the personality that he has given me, that I enjoy baseball. 
I shouldn't feel guilty that for God to ultimately have created sport and athletics, I should not feel guilty to spend money at times to take my wife to go see a Braves game. That's a way for me to enjoy my toil. I have worked hard. I have earned money. God has designed me in such a way. Some of you could care less about going to a Braves game. That would be a poor way for you to spend your money because you have no, there's no enjoyment in that. But for some of us, that, that's something that we really enjoy doing. It's a way to have good fellowship with a family member or a friend. And I think that the Bible is clear that there are times when it's okay for us to enjoy the, the, the fruit of our toil. That God has created creation. And you remember back in Genesis that it's very good. What I've done here is good. Fishing is good. Hunting is good. These are ways that we enjoy what God has created. Some of those things require money to do. And I think when, when in correct balance, we can enjoy things and not be uh, bombarded with guilt. I mean, we could, we, could, we could live in guilt our whole life. You know, we could always say, man, I'm eating a dollar cheeseburger at, at McDonald's, but I could have given that dollar somewhere else and just sat at home and ate crackers today. Again, I think that reverts back to a poverty theology. I think lost people need a correct understanding of how to enjoy this world as a Christian without neglecting the needs of others as a Christian. There has to be a healthy balance. God has not called us to be miserable, to force ourselves to be miserable. Now, at times, God's going to potentially take money away. You, you may potentially lose a job that forces you to live in a totally different way than you're living now. But that's something that God has designed. There's nowhere in Scripture that that necessitates us forcing ourselves to be miserable. Okay? But that doesn't mean that that I'm given the the opportunity to just splurge every time I want to do something fun either. Because as we're going to continue to see in Scripture, there are things that we have to take care of financially as an individual and as a church. Alright, lastly in that section, a disciple learns to make purchases for the sake of ministry or to sacrifice making money to do ministry. And and I've already talked about this a little bit. There are going to be times when you need to sacrifice money for the sake of ministry. You're going to need to make purchases to allow yourself to do ministry. Okay? You may decide to... To have a group of friends over to your house. You want to be hospitable because the New Testament tells us to be hospitable. To invite people over to our house. To fellowship in that manner. You're going to cover the cost of everything. You're not going to ask people to pay. You're not going to ask people to bring stuff. You just want to serve other people in this church or in your community. Invite people over. You're going to have to invest some money to do ministry there. You're going to have to cover the cost of the groceries. And there are times when, when, when you need to do that. There may be other times where you actually sacrifice the opportunity to make money so that you can do, go do ministry. Maybe you take a week off of work where you would have made money to go on a mission trip. Maybe you take off Friday night for some of you that have uh, schedules that, that differ every week. Maybe you ask off on a Friday night because you need to meet with someone in our church that's struggling with an issue. You could have made money. You're not giving them money, but you're still sacrificing money because you could have made money during that time slot and you didn't. A disciple learns to make purchases that will enhance his ministry, but also learns to sacrifice making money in order to do ministry. Okay? That's how we can spend money in a way that the Holy Spirit is, is changing us to be more like Christ. Number two, saving money. Saving money and how that relates to sanctification. How we save our money gives us the chance to show others that God is our security, not our savings account. See that? The Holy Spirit can use how we save money as a means for us to rely on God, not our savings account. As you interact with lost people, talk about the decline in the economy, talk about uh, different financial issues in your life. A lost person needs to see you. Trusting in the security that comes from a father who takes care of you, not a savings account that takes care of you. Okay, so the Holy Spirit can use how we save money as a form of sanctification. Secondly, how we save our money gives us the chance to be good stewards as we make future plans for using God's money. Say, how we save our money gives us the chance to be good stewards 
as we make future plans for using God's money. We can't take this approach that saving money is bad altogether, right? Because we would never go on a mission trip, right? I mean, how many of us just always have $2,500 sitting around whenever a Uganda trip comes up? Not a lot of us. Right? Like, there, there are times, and we're going to look at a couple other principles. There are things that we have to save for. There, there are appropriate ways to save without being a hoarder. The disciple learns how to balance that. We have to sit down with the money that we're bringing in and determine how much needs to be saved so that I can do future things for God. The Holy Spirit can work in our life to show us that. First thing there, a disciple learns to discern whether money is best served in a savings account or being used for gospel purposes. See, that's a decision that individually you have to make. Is the money that's sitting in your savings account better used in the savings account or better used outside for gospel purposes? Because think about it. Uh, let's, let's say we're talking about Bible translation. You know, some of us have been engaged with one verse with Wycliffe for a while. We've given money as a youth group. Um, it varies from time to time, but usually it's between 10 and $25 to have a verse translated into um, that, that native person's language. And they usually have different people groups that they're working on. You can log on to their website and see that. We could all empty our savings accounts and speed up the process of translation. Right? For every dollar that's sitting in your savings account, that dollar could be used towards Bible translation for people that don't have it. But that doesn't mean that every dollar in our savings account needs to be emptied for that purpose. There's a balance that you personally have to sit down and pray through and decide because the guidelines aren't given in Scripture. You're not going to find that you need X amount of dollars in your savings account all the time. That's something that, that the Holy Spirit's been given to us for, for us to pray through and examine and be good stewards of. You as a disciple have to determine, is it better for the money to be in my savings account I know the reason in my heart why it's there. Is it, a, is it a justified purpose? Or would it be better for that money to be spent on something? A disciple learns how to do that. Secondly, a disciple learns to wisely plan ahead without using money as a security. Especially for those of you that have families. It necessitates having money and savings if you're going to take care of your family. You know, as a husband, you can't just empty all the money out every month and be faithful to take care of your family. Because what happens when something unexpected happens? You know, your kid's playing, doing, doing karate and, and, and breaks an arm. If you don't have any money in savings to cover that, to me that would be, in a sense, unfaithful to plan and to help take care of your family. If you're just being... Just being irresponsible and just dumping your money out all the time. Because I think Scripture does command us. Take care of your family. Take care so you don't have to depend on somebody. Now, the guidelines, the things that I'm going to give you right here are just what um, mature Christian financial advisors at times suggest. A lot of people will tell you to save for the possibility of unemployment. Um, a lot of times it's suggested that you need to have um, three months of bills in your savings account in case you were to go to go to your job, hey, you're fired. No more paychecks. That there's there's some room there to take care of your family in the absence of a job. Um, others will tell you too that you need um, to save for the possibility of sudden crisis, build an emergency fund for unplanned expenses, keeping in mind the church is here to help when you can't take care of yourself. But a lot of times people say you need like $1,000 in savings in case there's something that just unexpected happens. And those may be good numbers to use as a guideline. Hey, I want to I try to work towards getting three months worth of savings in case I were to lose my job. I want to have some extra money there in case a kid gets sick or something and we need some emergency money. Now that doesn't mean that you withhold spending money on anything else until you have those reserves. It's not that, hey, I'm not going to give to my church until I have... X amount of dollars in my savings account, X amount in my emergency fund. But those can be healthy things to work towards as we seek to save like a disciple. Okay? Um, then lastly, a disciple learns to save to provide for the family. 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 8. 1 Timothy 5, 
3 through 8 says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's some strong wording there. To not take care of your family. And Paul even takes it further to not take care of immediate relatives. To not be faithful to work towards that is worse than, than an unbeliever. So there again, there is, there's big time responsibility on us to sit down with our money and to save money at times so that we can take care of family members. And some of that begins to get affected as, as moms and dads you recognize are starting to get older and may not be able to take care of themselves. That the burden of responsibility in scripture says you have a responsibility to take care of, which means you're going to need extra money potentially to take care of. Savings is a difficult issue to to work through in Scripture. We're not given a whole lot of do's and don'ts when it comes to savings. We're told not to hoard, but we're also told to be be well-balanced in saving so that we can take care of people that we're responsible for. And I think the Holy Spirit, and I think God expects, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, for us to be mature enough to... to, um, to sit down and work through this in prayer and to be wise in whether we save or whether we spend. Okay, so we've looked at spending money, we've looked at saving money. Um, any questions about those two things? I'm probably going to stop here instead of getting into just partial giving. Questions about spending money and saving money that you want to ask? Well, my is an extension of the same relationship that we have with Christ. And it is a great medium to develop discernment, to know when to save, when to spend. Uh, it is an outward extension of all the great things relationally with Christ. You know, we are we we are to bring our body into under subjection. We are to discipline our body and subject it to the Spirit of God. Those are all the very same things we have to do. God doesn't want us to just give just because some gaps. He wants us to use spiritual discernment to see who they really need. Mm-hmm. Is God the one that is helping me to give, or am I just giving this to God? I mean, these are all part of the development of the relationship, and finances is, is no different than anything. Right. And that we should save because we need to save until God says spend. And those cannot be in our chart. Saving is important. Sometimes you can't touch it. You should never touch it unless God tells you Right. So that you are fully enough to be responsible for that. But you should never do anything out of fear. You should always know that, as you said, God is your father and knows what you need. Right. And that was what was wrong with the guy who was storing, making bigger barns to store his stuff. If you read that account, his mindset is, I want to get so much put away that I could actually just stop working and just indulge in my in whatever I want to do until I die. Like his goal was to get enough to where he could stop working, never have to work again, and basically be able to do whatever he wanted to do. His motive for saving was wrong. His motive was, was a, a motive of greed and a motive to satisfy self. We can also have the motive, like you're saying, to save for the purposes of trying to deal with worry and fear that we have. Like, oh my gosh, what might happen in the future? And we fail to, to balance God's sovereignty and God's love and care for us. And we begin to think that we're responsible for making ourselves secure by the amount of money that we can put into a savings account. Um, but there, there's a balance there. I mean, I think God has given us minds and brains to think about the fact that, hey, I need to put some money away because there are things that I need money for at times that I've got to save up for. 
you know, he hasn't, he hasn't created us to, to not be able to, to anticipate those type of things. It's just like the husband and wife that need money from the same long attitude. Right. Uh, they were struck dead. Yeah. Because they were just trying to, to give the money to make themselves better. Yeah, and yeah, Ananias and Sapphira, and, and next week at the very beginning, we're going to talk about the fact that the act of giving, the actual physical act of giving, is less important in Scripture than the why of giving. The motive behind the giving is always elevated, is way more important than the actual physical act of giving. And we'll remember that, that um, they even tell Ananias and Sapphira, you didn't have to give any of the money to the church. There was no obligation given to you. There was no law that said, go sell your land and bring it all to the church. You could have kept the whole thing and been just fine doing so. Well, they, they didn't really need That's the whole point. They gave, something, they gave all of something. God gave them the opportunity to pass up and they still want to. Right. And, and, and again, it's all in the relationship, right? Right. Space out right. Other thoughts or questions on this? You'll notice the notes on giving is way longer than spending and saving because there's a whole lot more in Scripture about the role of giving for a believer. Alright, I'm going to close with this. I want, to, I want to jump ahead so that you have this to think about this week. Because this plays a huge role in how we understand uh, giving and, to a, and really to a degree spending and saving as well. The reason, make sure you get this, the reason in the Old Testament there are way more strict guidelines, laws, and commands about giving that are strikingly absent in the New Testament is because in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit indwells God's people. Make sure you note that. In the Old Testament, Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is not indwelling the people of Israel the same way He does in the New Testament. The whole Pentecost stuff going on in the early book of Acts. There's, there's a, a radical transition. Holy Spirit now indwells people that follow Christ. Old Testament, and if you sit down and read the Old Testament, you will reach the conclusion that majority of Israel not only didn't have the Holy Spirit, majority of Israel was, was not saved. They weren't saved. I mean, you constantly read about Old Testament Israel and the New Testament. They're described as hard-necked and stubborn and rebellious. Not the type of things you would describe a Christian, a follower of Christ as. Right? So, you've got a situation in the Old Testament where God is taking... Young, immature, chosen people and having to impress upon them strict guidelines and laws. Because giving is important in both covenants. But he has to enforce laws and commands to make it happen in the Old Testament. The expectation in the New Testament is you don't need the laws and commands and strict guidelines. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is supposed to make this happen absent of any laws and standards. Make sure you connect that. It's similar to, um, you know, when you're raising your kids. A lot of times you're gonna you're gonna enforce upon them. You have to make your bed in the morning. Like I, I think it's a rule. A lot of times in houses, like you can't move on to playtime or snack time or whatever comes next in that kid's schedule for the day. You got to go in and make your bed. You you need to help take care of the dishes. Like that's a that's a chore for some kids growing up. You have to do the dishes. You have to take the trash out. There's, there's a change that happens when you get married, right? Like, nobody tells me and Lauren to make our bed in the morning, right? Like, we just do that. Like, there's not a strict law that says, hey, you're not allowed to leave to go to work until you make the bed. There, there's an element where, like, we learn to do things, and then when maturity happens, they're just supposed to naturally happen because it's just, it just makes sense. That's what happens in the New Testament. There's a growing up of God's people. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. God expects us to act maturely. Let's get rid of all the rules and regulations and guidelines. Do this, don't do this. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at some passages next week where this is prophesied in the Old Testament. I'm giving you a new heart. 
a heart that submits to me willingly, who loves me willingly, who obeys my commands almost naturally because you're a new creation now. And that translates into our giving. God doesn't tell us give this percentage, don't give this, or or give here, don't give here. He expects us to be mature with the Holy Spirit's guidance, with the fellowship of other mature believers in the church who have the same Holy Spirit, for us to work this out together and to do this in a way that honors Him. Uh, I think the key difference is between the Old and New Testament is the relationship with Christ. In that, I believe that the Word of God is forever. And if He says, don't sin, don't curse, don't kill, when in the New Testament, in the relationship with Christ, you fulfill those requirements, but from a relationship not of the do's and don'ts, I do the things I do for Christ because I love Him. Right. And the things that I, I don't do or do still fulfill the word. Right. But now it's based on relationship. Right. Not on the law. Right. I'm still fulfilling the right. law. I'm within the law, but I'm fulfilling it by the Spirit in relationship with Christ. Right. So the things I do, like a child to a father, I do because I love my father. I don't curse or I don't lie because I know it offends him, not because he told me not to. Right. But I want to make him happy. So that's for me the difference between the Old and the New Testament. I still fulfill the law. Right. But I do it from a standpoint of relationship. Yep. Absolutely. Because of what Christ has done for us, we're free to be able to do that. We're free to actually fulfill the law in a way that Old Testament Israel never could seem to do. Or we didn't have the power to do it. Right. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then, um, like I said, we'll pick up here next week with a, a thorough discussion on giving. Again, we're working towards being able to reveal to you a budget for this church and how we desire to use the money that God has entrusted to you, that you choose to give to this church, we want to show you how we want to use that for God's glory in a way that, that lines up with Scripture and what it's commanded us to do. Alright, so let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for the relationship that you have made possible for us to have with you. Um, we know that in and of ourselves we could never do enough good works um, to get to heaven, to, to have a relationship with you. That even in our best efforts, we fall well short of being able to obey your law. And so, God, we rejoice that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to accomplish perfection for us. We thank you that your son came to be obedient for us. And, God, we thank you for the free gift of salvation that's been made available to us. That we don't have to earn it. We don't have to buy it. That we can readily accept the work that Christ accomplished for us. We can willingly submit to Him as Lord of our life. God, I pray that if there's anyone that's that's gathered with us this morning that has never done that, that has never submitted their life to You, that that would happen for them. That Your Holy Spirit would convict them of sin, that You would remove any um, ideas they have about their own self-righteousness being good enough, that You would tear that down, that You would expose them to their sin, They would be humbled and they would seek you, a God who rewards those who seek him. And God, I pray as a church, as we continue to learn and understand your teaching on money, that we would be open and receptive to what your word has to say, that we would be be humble enough to examine our personal spending habits, our personal saving habits, and our personal giving habits. That we would examine whether or not we're allowing the Holy Spirit to accomplish what He wants to in our life. Are we demonstrating to a lost world what's really important? God, help each one of us to be mature enough to sit down to examine what we're doing with our money. God, we thank You for the Holy Spirit. We thank You that we live in a a time in redemptive history where we do have a relationship with You. Where we do have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So God, I pray that we'd be willing to submit to that. That we would ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance this week even as we spend money. 
We'd be faithful to do it in a way that honors you. Continue to teach us. Continue to establish this church the way that you want it to be established. That you would guide us in the decisions that have to be made. That ultimately you would honor yourself through this church in this area and the areas in the area surrounding it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.